Good morning. It is February 9th, 2021. This is Emily Joan Elliott, the managing editor for East Lansing Info, here with Dr. Tara Chambers, the current president of the East Lansing Public Schools Board of Education. Thank you for joining us today, Tara. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing really great. First, Emily, just let me say, you know, how much I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you today. I'm excited for this conversation. Thank you. We're excited to have you. Um, so a lot of people who are listening know you as the current president of the school board, uh, but you also have a career as a professor at Michigan State University working on education administration. Um, so can you tell us a bit about your day job? Oh, yeah, sure. Okay, so... Uh, what I do during, so I'm, the short story is that I am a professor of educational administration and I also am, um, I work with aspiring superintendents and principals. Um, I also am the associate dean for diversity, equity, and inclusion in the college of education. Um, yeah, that's, that's my day job. Okay. Um, so what made you decide to go into this field? Good, good question. So um, some people have probably heard me talk about this before, um, but I grew up in Minnesota in a district that was very similar to East Lansing. And sort of the short story is that it was challenging for me to be what I would say a smart black girl in advanced classes that ended up having a long-term effect on me. I never had a teacher of color. I experienced racial microaggressions from teachers and other students Um had me questioning whether I was smart enough or really capable of going to college. Um, and that created a challenge, but it was in graduate school, I guess, that I was first exposed to professors of color um, for the first time. And I took courses in the history of education, how those historical legacies influence contemporary education, um, about how my experiences maybe weren't as unique as I had grown up thinking they were. And so that really influenced my path to become a professor, I guess, for two reasons. Um, one, you know, I wanted to be the person, be the teacher that I wish that I had always um, had myself when I was growing up. And then I guess the other reason is I wanted to be able to do research on these issues to help teachers, help school leaders um, become more effective with working um, with racially minoritized students. So yeah, that's that's the why, I guess. Sure. I think your background in terms of your professional field makes it logical that you would serve on the school board. What what motivated you to run initially? And for some of our listeners who might be newer to the area, can you say when you first ran for the school board? Yeah, so I um, originally came into the board through an appointment, actually. Um, okay. Yasmina Barawi um, stepped down from her role. There was a vacancy. And so I had been coming to school board meetings, I guess, for years at that point. And, um, you know, I there, we were in the midst of some really important work at that point, and I was just kind of concerned that, you know, depending on, you know, any, anybody can serve on the school board, but when it's an appointment process, I just really 
oh, I don't know. I guess I felt compelled to put my name forward to just make sure that at least, you know, like to the degree that I had my pulse on kind of these continuing issues that um, I might be a good person to consider. Consider. Um, I didn't have any expectation that they'd actually choose me, but it was great that they did. <laughs> so that's how I got on. And then I obviously ran for election after that. Okay. Um, so how does your professional backgrounds influence the way you approach your position on the board, being you have this understanding of what is the role of a principal versus a superintendent versus the board? Yeah. Oh, gosh, that's such a great question. So, you know, I think it's both connected and not connected. Like the way that I see it connected is that I have looked to make connections across my work with the community through, I guess, just across my whole career back to like, a hundred years ago when I worked for Congress, I was a congressional fellow with the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation. Um, And one of the disappointments from that experience was how little trust there was between policymakers, well, mistrust of policymakers for researchers and how nobody was listening to community members, specifically teachers Mm -hmm. or school leaders or anyone in the field who actually knew what they were talking about. So when I left that position, I took with me this kind of commitment to keeping um, the connection among my research with policymakers and the broader community kind of all together. And so I really like that my role on the school board helps bring all of that together in a meaningful way. And then um, I'm also a mom of black son who's going to, a, to school in a district very similar to the one that I went to myself. That adds another layer of investment, I guess, my commitment to ensuring that my son um, and other kids from minoritized backgrounds are supported. So it's nice that we have a team in East Lansing that supports those commitments too. So that makes that part easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess I said that it was connected and not connected. So the way that it is not connected, and I, tr- I sort of talked about this at a recent board meeting, but um, you know, I, some people will say, you know, like I work with principals and superintendents every day. And so the board is lucky to have someone with my expertise on the board. And I, you know, I, I guess that's true in some ways, but um, I actually think that the most helpful thing I can do with all of my credentials sometimes is just to stay out of our administration's way and tell people to just stay out of their way. Like all of my skills, all of my credentials, and maybe the most helpful thing I can do is get out of their way because I'm not a superintendent. And so I'm very clear, at least in my mind, to just stay in my lane and allow the other folks who are playing their positions in the district to play their lane, to, you know, play their roles too. Okay. Um, What has been the most surprisingly difficult part of serving on the board? (laughs) Oh, Emily, so, so many things. Um, This might be where I get a little too real, so I'll try to... (laughs) try to watch myself. But, you know, I've tried to tell people this before, too. I'm not sure how successful I am at talking about this. But there are parts of this job that are really challenging, of course. But like, there are parts of that that are um, that I think I'm actually okay at, or at least I'm up for the challenge. It's more comfortable. I have the educational or professional background to deal with, I guess, like the content part of the job. But what's the most challenging for me is the like serving as an elected official part of it. Because to me, like, I'm just a regular person who's doing the best that I can do. Um, But so it's the political part of this that is like, hands down, the most, I guess, if you say surprisingly difficult part of this. For me, if I had my way, I could just be working hard on the side, 
not in the spotlight, not worrying about whether I might say the wrong thing or, you know, do, that, that part is what's tough. But I signed up for this. I'm working on developing a thicker skin. Um, and then the running for office part, I don't think that's ever going to be comfortable for me at all. So I just have to get over it. Okay. In <laughs> um, your work on the board, what project that you've taken on have you been most proud of? Oh, that's a, okay. Most proud of. So there are a lot of things. Um, the thing that comes to mind right away is our elementary bond project. Um, and this has been something that our district has been working towards for, gosh, I think, I mean, over 10 years, longer than we have lived in the community. So to see now after all of that, you know, like investment and conversation and really passionate work on all sides, people who have been supportive and people who have been trying to improve the situation. Like, I just am really proud of the learning opportunities that have resulted um, because of these spaces. The buildings really are conducive to helping kids collaborate and be creative. And I just love seeing that come to fruition um, after so much hard work by so many. And then um, what else? Certainly our support of minoritized students. We've created policy that specifically supports um, students in expressing their gender identities. That's really important. Um, last year we gave bonuses to our teachers. That is That never happens. We want to do these things. We want to pay teachers more. And it just really isn't the reality that we're able to do it. As, you know, like I, if I could, I'd pay teachers a million dollars. And yeah, so those are things that I, you know, to be able to recognize the amazing work that our teachers do, that was a good day. How were you guys able to make the bonuses happen? Well, I mean, our secret weapon is our um, amazing um, finance director, Rich Pugh. He is, I, you know, I, I, I can't say enough about the people that we've got in our leadership positions in the district, um, but he is just really so thoughtful and very... Um, skilled in his work um and so guiding the district even though we have gone through some on you know financial uncertainty that lots of dist districts have faced um but just being really thoughtful and mindful um put us in a position where we had an unexpected surplus and we were able to direct that to where we really felt it was needed to our teachers yeah, I feel like surplus is a word you seldom hear when it comes to budgets. <laughs> oh, 100%, you know, 100%. So that I feel really lucky. Because, you know, the, the reality is, like, nobody wants to be in a, you know, a financial, like, uh, hardship. Like, no, no district wants to be mm -hmm. in that kind of situation. Nobody wants to have to cut things. or I mean, that's just you, but that's the situation sometimes that you end up being in. So to be in the really lucky position to be on the other side and say, like, hey, we, we have some unexpected money here um, and to be able to, to make that kind of contribution. I mean, I just feel so lucky because I know, I mean, we're not alone in wanting to do that, but just being able to do that is really the success. Mm -hmm. So now I'm going to ask you about the flip side. Is there something you wish you had pushed harder for or do you have an ongoing project that you want to continue bringing to the finish line? Oh, okay. Yeah, that is also a really great question, Emily. I think <sighs> pushed harder for, yes. Um, so it's, it's hard because I think that we're pushing hard for lots of things, but I don't necessarily, I want to be clear in distinguishing, like, I don't feel like I'm pushing 
against anybody. If anything, I think that we're all pushing together, thankfully. Right. You know, like we know that we have more work to do, for example, hiring more teachers and administrators from racially minoritized backgrounds. That's important to me, but that's also, you know, that's important to our district. I know that there are students who we could be supporting better. That's something I know that we're all pushing um, towards. And then, of course, COVID is just exacerbating all of this. But, yeah, I think that we're all, you know, we're all pushing for these things. But I'm I'm aware that there are times when a school board is in the position to, to push against the superintendent. I'm not saying that I'm not willing to do that. Um, but I'm just very happy that we haven't been in that situation, at least since I've been on the board. That would be, I mean, for me, to just be honest, that would be very hard to feel like that we that we weren't on the same team now does that mean we don't have conversations um that are hard no of course that's different we can have conversations we can push each other in the course of our work and we are still on the same team so yeah i feel like what the things that i'm pushing for are i feel like our team is also pushing for but we've got you know we've got work to do i'm not i'm not you know (laughs) not um I, i have no illusions about that Right. So what I'm hearing is the reality is the board has to operate and they might have external structures that they have to combat more than each other. Absolutely. I think that that's a really great way to put it. Like we're, um, you know, like uh, I I do get frustrated sometimes, like at the pace of progress, like I want to do all of the things now. Right. Right. (laughs) And just the reality or the recognition that it doesn't work like that. You know, like we are working towards long-term goals. If these were, you know, I feel like now I'm talking to my students when I say this, like if these were easy problems to solve, we would have solved them long ago. Like if it were just as easy as passing policy or saying to somebody, Hey, don't be racist or Hey, maybe we should have more money, you know, then we could do a lot more things, but to do the real change that is needed requires us to put some more effort and planning and it's hard. So I, there's a recognition that it's just, you know, we're just, we just got to keep on plugging. Right. Um, so I think, The thing that's really on the minds of a lot of parents in the district is how to handle education during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, So I believe East Lansing Public Schools went remote in March around St. Patrick's Day when the governor ordered schools to close. And they've more or less been remote ever since. I know that their special education and English language learners have had some in-person programs and a lot of the school board meetings have focused on when should kids go back and what would going back look like. Right. So for you, what was the major challenge or kind of existential problem, something that you (laughs) grappled with when trying to choose between online and in-person learning. Oh gosh, that's such a good way to put an existential crisis that I went through. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Um, but part of this is really easy to answer because the um, the big, well, the easy thing is identifying what the biggest challenge is, I guess that's what I should say. But um, it's finding the right path forward when there are a lot of good, but not great options. You know, like there have been many days where I've fallen down a rabbit hole of reading scientific articles that suggest this, 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 and then you go down another rabbit hole that suggests a whole other, you know, combination of things, right, is the right way. And so it all becomes so overwhelming. 
Um, and I don't see any other districts doing something that is so clearly better than what we've been doing. It doesn't mean that we have all the answers or that we can't do things better, but it just, I guess it reminds me to your point about the existential crisis that we're all making the best decisions that we can with data that is just really not so clear. Um, and to me, that's evidenced by the fact that districts all over the world are doing very different things. There are a lot of right answers. Um, well, I guess maybe there's a lot of like rational answers, meaning like I can understand why a district has made a decision that they've made, but I haven't seen any slam dunks, nothing where I've said like, oh, you know what, that's something that we c could do and should have done, right? Like that's like, sometimes it's like, oh, I wish, I wish we could do that, but because of this constraint or our, our district is too big or too small, or we, you know, we can't do what this district is doing. But so that's the difficult part, doing the right thing according to one set of metrics or to support one stakeholder group means potentially upsetting another group. Um, and so, you know, like you said, right now we've given um, families a choice uh, here in terms of staying on, uh, staying remote, staying, going in person. And I think that's what's really important here. Um, I know that some of our teachers have some unreadiness. Some of our community has some unreadiness, even with having our teachers fully vaccinated before teaching in person. I really wish that there were a way to support everyone, but I also, you know, like the, having been on the board as long as I've been on the board, that's, we've never faced that situation as long as I've been on the school board where we've had an issue and there hasn't been someone who's been upset by a decision. So that part I've kind of gotten over that um, I'm not going to please everybody. Um, but still, that's what's hard about this is going forward with a plan that I truly believe is the best. Um, and I agree with the superintendent's recommendation that given all of the factors and the reality of our situation, um, but knowing that it won't please everyone. And we've been down this path a couple of times over the last few months of really thinking like, okay, what is it going to look like? How can we do this? And it just hasn't worked out. The metrics either haven't supported the plan that we are moving towards um, or some other set of factors has changed. And now I feel really confident about where we are. I'm hopeful about it. You know, we're going to put in pl our plans in place. We're all hoping for that, you know, February 20 22nd date. Um, but we're also mindful that things might shift and then our plans would shift accordingly. Mm -hmm. What information have you looked to to inform your decisions that you've made um, when recertifying the continuity of learning plans. And for our listeners, the continuity of learning plan is a plan that kind of elaborates a bit how the district will be offering education for the next month. And sometimes it goes beyond that, but I believe right. you guys have to recertify every month. Right, right. Yep. No, great question. So, I mean, I look at everything, right? I mean, the most important thing is looking at the recommendation that Superintendent Lego puts forward, right, of her interpretation of where we are, the metrics, the plan, where that, you know, where what her recommendation is. But then also I'm doing my due diligence of um, reading the metrics that she uses, that she puts forward and that she links on her website. I think that's been really helpful to help people understand, you know, the um, information that's going into the recommendations. But, and then I was also sitting on um, a reopening committee at MSU. So that gave a different stream of information, but I don't, you know, I don't think a day goes by where I'm not reading something uh, empirical research articles, but also, you know, I find it, um, uh, carefully helpful to also pay attention to what's happening in non-empirical research spaces. Like just how are people doing? What is the anecdotal evidence too of um, the struggles that people have that may not always show up in empirical articles? But I just, I don't think anyone 
um, isn't doing that, but I, I think that I'm mindful of trying to take in all of these different information streams, particularly because while we do hear from some constituents in the district who email us um, or speak at public comment, and I'm really grateful for those um, streams of information, I also know that it doesn't ca capture the perspectives of everybody in the district, right? And so I, I'm mindful to try to pull in all of those different perspectives. Yes, I've sat in on every school board meeting since you guys have been debating yeah. this issue. And even from meeting to meeting, I've seen in public comments where it skews one way in the next meeting, the opinion might skew another way. Yep. And then in, you have meetings too where sometimes, I believe, because I've had to keep tally and take notes on everyone, we've had up to like 20 something people comment and it could be split down the middle. Oh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... As a board member, what is your position in making these decisions about returning to school? Like, I, my understanding is you're maybe not getting into the nitty gritty of mm -hmm. how high school students might walk around the hallways. So what role yeah. do you guys play? Yeah, another great question. So um, an important question, because I think that there's some cute confusion, too, about exactly what the school board does. But um, the, the role of the school board and of the superintendent, it's all very clear. It's all laid out um, in, you know, policy. The it's there. There's no um, like um, it, it's, all, it's all very clear. Ultimately, the school board is responsible for all the decision making in the district, district from selecting and evaluating our superintendent to approving the budget, um, approving curriculum, those kinds of like um, buck stops here kind of decisions. But we don't make those plans. I mean, like if you think about it, and I'm, I don't want to take anything away from my colleagues on the board, but we're like a collection. We're a lawyer, a veterinarian, a professor. Like, you know, we all have specific expertise related to specific aspects of our district, but none of us have the skills that our superintendent has so we put the how of it um, into the hands of the superintendent that we choose and ultimately so it's her job to put all of that knowledge all of that expertise into managing our district and to keep her eye um, on all of it so you know of course we can overrule her recommendations and that's an important part of our role too um, when necessary but I really see it as my job to work with her to find a path whether it's on reopening or anything else that we're working towards as a district um, to find a path that we all feel good about so that, you know, hopefully I don't have to like quote unquote overrule her, but that we work collaboratively to a solution that we feel good about. So there are many weeks that I talk with her several times a week, especially right now when there's so much um, planning happening related to our plan to offer that in-person option later this month. And then also in the lead up to the vote on the 25th, um, I guess, what, two weeks ago, um, I really wanted to hear from her about what informed her recommendation, who has she talked with, um, and to get answers about some of the concerns that, um, like not get answers in a demand answers way, but just really understand how are you thinking about these concerns that we're hearing um, from the community. And so, you know, it's just now that the plan has passed and we've moved into the planning part of it, it's just really staying in the loop about how those plans are progressing. So I have an understanding of, of where we're heading um, as a team. And she, I, I just really want to say, like, she is really fabulous at her job. And it takes a lot for me to say that, both because, you know, I work every day very closely with school leaders. So I have that kind of inside perspective. 
but also maybe more importantly, because I am a black mom of a black son and I've had the kinds of experiences that I had in school um, that I talked about when I was younger. And she's a white woman who has done a lot of learning on issues of social justice and racial equity. So, I mean, I think she'd probably say that herself. So for me to say that our district is lucky to have her in this position, I don't say that casually. Um, So anyway, yeah, I really take that role of working collaboratively of we all play our various lanes, our roles um, together. That's how we, that's how I look at it. So I have a follow-up question kind of based on what you said, you pointed out, Dr. Etzel's a veterinarian, Mr. Martin is a lawyer, you're a professor. Um, The backgrounds run the gamut. So what is the most important thing a trustee could bring to the position so professional experience is it their personal experiences or is it just simply the ability to listen to what the people who voted you guys in have to say and what their concerns are or some other thing that I haven't touched on (laughs) yeah no I think it's all of those things and it can be really I mean I'm not like I said I'm not discounting the professional or personal experiences that we bring, right? Like sometimes having a lawyer perspective on things in real time can be really useful. Um, And then sometimes our personal experience is really useful too. Like Kath has um, several children who have gone through our special education system. And so her perspective really as a parent of students with, of kids with special needs is maybe she might look at me funny for saying this, but might be the most important thing that she has to offer um, in her trustee role, right? And so I think all of that is really critical. And certainly, you know, I think about representing the constituents um, of our community. That's a really critical aspect of what I do too, that kind of, um, you know, that the community, the way I look at it is this, the community has put me in place to have a, a more focused eye, a more critical perspective uh, um, behind the scenes, I look on the things that we're doing to be able to say like, yeah, you know what? I feel really good about we're, what we're doing. Where I kind of draw the line though is, and you didn't necessarily say this, but like when, but sometimes we hear from people like we elected you and we expect that you're gonna, you know, represent us or do what we want you to do. And I think that's not exactly what my role as a trustee member is. Um, because I, first of all, I'm never gonna make everybody happy, even just like my little friend group, if I were just trying to, you know, there were plenty of times where the decisions that we make are things that my friends are like, what are you doing, Tara? Like, that was not a good idea, you know? So I'm failing on that metric. So maybe that's why um, I'm saying it's not just that, but I, seriously really do think um of my role as just you know like to be at the table and to understand the things that are um that are going on but really also to be mindful of my role and to value the expertise of the people that we've hired to do their jobs and let them do it yeah it's interesting that you said about even within your friend group because when you think of elected officials i often think sometimes of like state or national level where you might feel a bit more removed from the decisions you're making versus (laughs) these people are your neighbors (laughs) right um so you've mentioned that you're a mother of a student in the district so how is remote learning going for your family know not so great sometimes (laughs) it's good and bad um my son Langston actually I I need to say his name because he wanted me to make sure to say his (laughs) name um he's an only child and so being home with just his parents has been really hard for him um and there have 
absolutely been times in this last year where I've had concerns about his mental health. Um, we've had days where we've just had to walk away from Zoom and just, you know what, the emotions are too big. This is too stressful. It's too much right now. And you're a little kid. And so, you know, it's a lot to have expectations that he can do this all the time. Um, and his teachers have all been really great and supportive of the fact that sometimes we just need to take a break. So, I mean, the situation is just really tough for us. So I'm, I'm, and I'm, I'm mindful that I have it a lot easier than a lot of other people have it. I've been working, uh, working from home, well, trying to work from home, um, since March and, um, yeah, it's tough. Um, so how have you had to balance your concerns as a parent um, with a student who's dealing with remote learning with making decisions for the entire district? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I'm aware, you know, like there are, oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, obviously I'm not on the school board just to make sure that my child is taken care of. It certainly informs the work that I'm doing. It's helpful to be a parent um, because I, I know just how hard this is for lots of people um, because I'm, I'm doing it myself. But um, obviously it's not the only thing that I um, um, think about. But in terms of how that informs what we're doing, I guess it just means that I'm more committed to, to being able to um, provide options for families to be able to choose what's best for them. Because I know that as a district, what's like families know what is best for their kiddos. So mm-hmm. I'm really glad that we have finally gotten to a place where we can provide an option for in-person instruction where, because up until now, you know, we've tried, as you talked about, like there have been a couple of moments where we have tried to move towards a plan for in-person instruction and, and kind of get the plans in place so that we would be ready. And it just couldn't come together. Um, and I'm, I'm feeling more confident than I have since March that we're going to be able to do this. Um, and that's what I really am excited about because as a, as a parent, it's still hard to know what the right thing to do is. I'm going through that myself. It's hard, but I'm, I'm glad that we can um, give parents a choice. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure this seems far away to you, I, and everyone else listening, but one day the pandemic probably will be over. Um, what do you see as a major challenge facing the district after COVID? <laughs> yeah, after COVID. I, you know, people, people keep saying like, after COVID, what are we going to do after COVID? I have to tell you, I don't really see an after COVID coming for quite some time, not mm-hmm. anytime soon anyway. I think we'll see, what I think we'll see instead is these gradual returns to like, a, like moments of what it was like before, like a, a gradual movement towards that. And so like our move to offer an in-person choice later this month, that's one big step. Um, But the legacies of this will be with us for a while, I think. So that's one part. But in terms of what I think you're really asking about the legacies of COVID, um, I do think that we have a lot to be thinking about uh, going forward. A big thing um, on my mind are all of the hidden challenges and traumas that have been hidden while kids have been out of school, out of in-person instruction anyway. Um, I've been personally aware of some of the specific challenges that families have been facing um, during this pandemic. And so I'm certainly mindful of all of the ways that our kiddos will need to be um, supported going forward. Um, I'm also mindful that all of the inequities that we had with us before COVID are still here, only magnified in some um, some situations. And so those are things that we have to continue to be aware of. Um, and then there's all the other things that we 
um, that were important before that we've tried to keep our focus on that have nothing to do with COVID, like um, this massive school building campaign that we've had going on. That was like the big thing that we were focusing on. None of that has gone away. Like we have, we, it's not like you can just say like, okay, well, let's stop building midway through this, you know, this project. No, all of that is still happening. Um, same thing, for example, our focus on racial equity it's, we're not going to just stop and say like, oh man, you know, this pandemic makes this really hard to keep focusing on that. No, we have to keep, um, we have to keep focusing and that will only, you know, again, continue uh, after quote unquote, after COVID um, as we, you know, continue to keep these plates spinning through all of this. Right. So that's a good segue then to another question I had is, I know that you, as chair of the policy committee, have been working on a racial equity policy. Yes. Um, I only began covering school board during the pandemic, but I know it's right. something that you and the committee have worked on throughout the pandemic. And to the best of my understanding, it predated the pandemic. So can you tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about the motivation for that policy and what it you hope it'll look like? Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know... Let me just kind of back up a little bit. So one of the things that I always say to my education policy students is that if you want to see what an organization really values, look at their bylaws, look at their founding documents. If they really care about it, it's going to show up there. And so when I work with school districts, I say the same thing. You know, if you tell me that you're committed to equity, okay, great. Then show me how I would know that without you telling me, right? Show me with your your hiring commitments. Show me with your curriculum decisions, with the programs that you implement. And then, you know, of course, with policy, um, I think the good news is that we have a lot of those pieces uh, in place already in East Lansing. I guess I would say like we're kind of walking the walk, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But while we have the pieces of policy related to equity generally and then racial equity specifically in places, we really um, have realized and this is, you know, like we've, we've known this, that we need to think about articulating that commitment more robustly and more comprehensively. So this is not just putting some pretty words in a document. Um, well, I guess it's partially that, like, I hope the words end up being pretty, but it's also about building capacity in our teachers and in our administrators. Um, and we're in the second year of a really intense professional learning focus on racial equity and social justice. Um, it's also about thinking about a district-wide infrastructure, uh, and Superintendent Lego announced over the summer her intention to create building equity committees um, throughout the district and some other plans related to infrastructure, so that's great. Um, And then it's also um, looking at ways that our existing policies and procedures, like whether we intend for them or not, whether they can interfere with our attempts to move towards racial justice. And so there have been things that we have done with respect to that, too, like removing the school resource officer um, this summer is another example. So, yeah, we have put a plan in place um, to build a racial equity policy. We're moving towards that goal but we're committed to doing this right. And so I think that'll just take time. Um, And I can say that I'm really thrilled about what we're doing. It makes me proud. It makes me feel like, you know, I can really, um, you know, feel like we're doing this with um, fidelity, right? As a person who does this in my daily life to say like, you know, we may not be perfect, but we're doing the things that I can really say um, I'm proud of. Mm -hmm. So how... Does your policy overlap or diverge between what Superintendent Laco laid out this summer um, 
Because I guess yeah. what I'm get kind of the question I have that I'm struggling to articulate to you is, is there a difference between policy and action or how do those two work together? Uh, yeah, no, I think that's exactly it. They do work together. Like you can have a pretty policy in a policy manual, but if that's not, if it's not, if you're not attentive to the ways that that really needs to show up in your practices, like your policies need to guide your action, right? And if you're mm-hmm. just, um, you know, if you are moving forward with action without the guidance of policy, well, that's just not good. You know, that's just not good practice um, anyway. So it really is trying to do a both and approach to this. So what um, Superintendent Lego put out over the summer, I think is a really great roadmap or intention around what we're headed towards and what we're trying to do is build from that vision um, a really comprehensive infrastructure of how that is going to, you know, like I said earlier, show up in our documents and not in a way that is just, you know, like, oh, we're just going to take that line out and we can go back to, you know, what we were doing before. No, like we really want this to be embedded. Like I'm getting a visual in my mind of like vines wrapping around, like you will not ever be able to take this out because it's so connected to everything that we do. That's the kind of approach to a racial equity policy that I think we're moving towards. Okay. And you had said that you felt the district was already walking the walk do you, can you give an example of a way that you've been proud of the district for the actions it's taken moving toward more racial equity? Oh, that's a great question. So, yeah, you know, there are some some examples that come to mind, um, and I just need to be careful about how I talk about them. But so, okay, so here a good a good example is um, our hiring of um, our we well. I'm less involved with the hiring of teachers, so I have mm-hmm. less information about that, but we've had some really great um, hires over the last couple of years. Um, and obviously those teachers come to the board for approval and we see their materials. So, you know, we're aware of that effort, but we are a little bit more aware of the effort when it comes to hiring um, folks on our administrative team. So like last year in the hiring for the principal at Red Cedar, we had a number of really wonderful candidates. And just to see um, the way that we were able to enact our commitments around finding someone who's really excellent, um, but also uh, a candidate of color was um, really nice to see how that all came together really organically. And so I'm really excited about that hire, Mr. Pugh over at Red Cedar. and so that's one example. And there have been a couple of things where I've just sat back and watched and said, like, okay, we say that this is a commitment. Let me say how we walk this um, with this particular, um, you know, practice or opportunity or hiring or whatever it is. And there have been, you know, a few different examples, the hiring at Red Cedar, one of them, where um, I've been really proud to see how that's all worked out. Great. Well, that is all the questions I had for you. Um, So I just wanted to thank you once again for coming on our podcast. Um, I appreciate it. And I know our listeners do as well. Awesome. Well, thanks, Emily. I really appreciate the opportunity to share more about the really great things that are happening in East Lansing. Um, You know, it's obvious. I think we have a great team. So I'm always happy to talk about it. Thank you. 